Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. If your first serve, I think, in tennis isn't working, that changes your strategy, but you feel like you can't really, really be aggressive. If you're not driving the golf ball in play off the tee, then again, it really does affect how you can play the rest of the game because it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on your iron game if you're missing fairways. Having the right team about the player makes the difference and how much is it about listening to what my coaches tell me, but then going out there and actually doing the stuff on my own? Yeah, I, I think in golf, golf has become, I think, tennis. Um, if you look at, you know, I flew home from a tournament with last last night with, 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 with Dustin Johnson and, you know, on the plane is, he's got his chef on the plane. He's got his brother, who's his caddy on the plane. He's got his trainer Joey D who's on the plane sometimes his physio Marnus is on the plane and I'm on the plane so he's got six guys on his team that he travels with pretty much every week all right well Claude I have to say this is so exciting uh, not only for myself but for all my friends retired athletes uh, when I told them that I'm just <laughs> about to talk to you they told me 1,000 questions that I need to ask you so thank you so much for your time and uh First of all, what's your relation to tennis? How much do you actually watch it? Play to yourself, maybe? You know, um, my dad was a golf instructor and I have, uh, I had three uncles, they were golf instructors. My grandfather was a golf instructor. He won the Masters, which is, you know, the Wimbledon of, of golf in 1948. And I never played golf growing up. I played tennis. Wow. I never, I never, I played on my high school tennis team. I I'd never played golf. I was a tennis junkie. Um, you should be then on this end of the world. We should be discussing forehands and backhands. <laughs> I used to I used to go to, because I didn't know a lot of people that played tennis. So I would go to tennis courts by myself and hit myself balls. And I had, I my John McEnroe was my favorite. And I had the Max 200G graphite racket like McEnroe nice. did. Um, but no, I, I, I always follow tennis. So I watched tennis growing up 
you know, a lot on TV. Um, ESPN back then was just kind of starting. I'm 51. And that was kind of when John McEnroe and television for, you know, tennis all the time. And the Davis Cup was huge. And, you know, I thought it was cool to like all the the sweet Michael Pernfors. I thought he was cool to like when I was younger and stuff. So now I was a, I was a tennis. And still, I'm, I mean, half the stuff I follow on Instagram are tennis sites of try to hit a better backend. So I'm, like you said, I'm the, 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 the athlete that likes golf. I'm the athlete that likes tennis. So there isn't a better person in the world than to ask the question that we always keep discussing. In your opinion, um, what's more difficult, golf or tennis, if you can actually say it that way? I, I think golf for a lot of people is more difficult because I think the hardest thing about golf is you're not moving. So you kind of have to start the movement pattern. Um, I gave a golf lesson once to a guy that worked in semiconductors and he'd never played golf before and he wanted to learn how to play golf. And he was, he had no athletic ability. He had no golf ability, but we were trying to get him to hit some golf balls. And because he came from the science world, he said something that, that always, you know, stuck with me. He said, you know, the hardest thing for me about golf is I'm starting at zero energy. So you're basically starting from a fixed position and you as the athlete have to start the movement pattern where in tennis, you're, you're reacting a lot to where the ball goes and you can use momentum and speed and things like that. So I think a lot of people struggle with golf because they think it's not like the other sports that they play, but golf, I think in tennis probably have more similarities and really any other sport that I can think of in the way that the body moves in the way that you transfer weight. The only difference in golf that I think sometimes golfers forget is the ball is always in the right position for you to hit it. There's never going to be an outside agency in golf that at the top of your backswing is going to move the golf ball further away from you or someone would run at you. And I think people that come from other sports specifically players that come from, you know, the, the, the baseball, the hockey, the tennis, the ball is always in the perfect position for you to, to hit the best shot possible. But you as the player, I think sometimes moves around. So, um, but yeah, I think golf and tennis have, you know, enormous similarities for sure. So what are some of the mistakes we bring uh, tennis players, hockey players, mainly, as you mentioned from our profession, when we try to actually, you know, hit the golf? Well, I think most of the tennis players that I've worked with and most of the hockey players that I've worked with, if they're right-handed, all tend to miss tends to be a hook because they're very used to their body being in an unstable position and being able to rapidly accelerate the racket, rapidly accelerate the stick. Whereas the baseball players and the hitters in baseball all tend to slice the ball because they're trying to come through with the racket in a very, or the bat in a very, very much of a position like this. Um, both, you know, the baseball players, the tennis players, um, the hockey players all tend in golf to have a lot of speed because they, they're athletic and they play a rotational sport. But believe it or not, I mean, a, if you are a right-handed golfer and a right-handed tennis player, a lot of the similarities in what you would do to, to hit a backhand the way the body would move, the way your arm would move. You know, I say that a lot of times, you know, it, it is a feeling that almost like you're hitting a backhand, the racket control of how to control the face. A lot of the tennis players that I've 
been around have tremendous touch and feel. I got to watch um, Mats Vilander played in a pro-am um, with uh, Dustin Johnson right before the pandemic. And to watch his short game was just unbelievable because he could just do so many cool things. And, um, you know, it is a very similar movement pattern from a lot of sports. Um, I think the hockey players have the most speed because they generate it from very, very kind of wide base and then rapid acceleration that way. But is there maybe a point where you have to kind of, if you're trying to teach us a proper golf swing, accept that we've got so many habits from our sport that we are never actually going to be able to have like a proper golf swing because of where we come from? Yeah, I think the, the most important thing in golf, I think a lot of golfers get wrapped up into, um, they're obsessed with the direction the golf ball is traveling, right? How much it's curving to the right, how much it's curving to the left, whatever that is. And to me as an instructor, I think the single biggest determining factor on your progression to get better is having contact with the golf ball and the golf club all the ground. And and and, it, and no joke, I use so many tennis analogies when I teach. Hitting, getting it, being able to get the golf ball in the air with every single club in your bag, whether it's a you know a lob wedge that has the most loft on on the on the golf clubs or a driver that has the least where you get to put it on a tee. But specifically with irons, if you can get the golf ball in the air every time you make a golf swing, regardless of how far it goes and regardless of the direction it goes, that's the tennis equivalent of being able to just get it over the net and in the court. Mm -hmm. So we can play. If you hit a ball back to me and I hit it, even if I moon ball it back over the court, you can then hit it back. If every time I make a, a, a forehand, I hit it into the net, you can't progress and you can't continue to play the game. And I think a lot of golfers play the majority of their golfing career never really learning how to get hit the golf ball solid mm -hmm. and get the golf ball in the air all the time so they'll hit three or four good ones and then they'll hit five or six bad ones where the ball doesn't get into the air they're hitting the ground they're hitting it fat they're they're topping it and again that's the tennis of just hitting it into the to the net and not being able to get it over the and getting it over to the the other side of the court so i think To me, I don't really worry so much which direction players hit the golf ball, draws or fades. To me, the most important thing is the quality of the strike and the quality of the contact. And I think the athletes that come from the other sports to golf, the ones that progress really, really fast. I mean, I've seen Rafa's swing. I mean, Rafa's golf swing looks very much like his tennis swing. It wouldn't be something that you would teach, but it's very, very functional. And so um, what... What I try and do with the athletes is if the golf swing is functional, I really don't care what it looks like because, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's like that in tennis. I mean, you know, there are some weird kind of backhands and weird things, but if you can functionally get it over the net every time without a lot of unforced errors, yeah. you can make it work. Yeah, totally. As, as long as it works, doesn't matter what it looks like. Um, and it's so true because I, I feel like all the tennis players, the way we play tennis, it kind of transfers the way we play golf, obviously. And I'm sure it's the other way around. Now, you mentioned, you know, in tennis, we've got the net, we've got the opponents, in hockey as well. This is something I always wonder in golf. How much you actually just play the course, now talking about professional level, and how much you actually worry about the rest of the field, what it's doing out there? 
I think it's really hard for players to not worry about what's going on on the golf course around them. Um, I just came from Austin where they have one of the few um, match play tournaments. So in match play, I think somewhat you are playing more of the opponent than you are the golf course. Um, but certainly in regular tournament stroke play, um, I mean, the golf course, everyone's playing the same golf course. And, you know, it's very, it's hard not to let what's happening around the golf course with the other players influence you. But um, I think you're playing the hole that you're playing. That's it. So if you're on the first hole and you're on the tee, you can't kind of, control the next shot and you can't control the shot on the second hole and the third hole, you can only kind of control each shot as they're playing. So, um, yeah, you are playing the golf course. And I think sometimes I've been to one of the players I work with, um, Siwoo Kim, he was from Korea, doesn't have, he's got a beautiful, beautiful golf swing, but he doesn't nearly have the speed as some of the other players. So, um, a couple of days ago, he was playing in the match play, he was playing Bryson DeChambeau and, and Bryson's probably going to hit it. 50, 60 yards past him with the driver, which he did on a number of occasions. And I, I said to Siwoo all through his warm-up, listen, just don't really kind of watch what he's doing today because you can get kind of wrapped up in that. Well, we saw earlier, like two weeks ago, Rory McElroy was talking about how one of the reasons why he thinks he's been struggling with his golf swing is because after all the things Bryson was doing to try and gain more speed, Rory decided that he was going to try and chase some distance and it's really thrown off a lot of his timing and his rhythm. So um, I think it's natural when you're looking at what other players are doing um, in your, I mean, one of the things players talk about Daniela in, in golf is if you've got three guys in a group, right. In a PGA tour event to a Thursday and Friday, if, if a couple of the guys in the group aren't really playing good and aren't really making a lot of putts, some guys will come off and say, yeah, I mean, the other guys in my group didn't really play that great today. So there was no energy in the group. But if you're playing and, and, and everybody in your group, so you've got three guys and one guy gets off to a really fast start, starts making pots. And then the other guy in the group, if they're two or three under through, you know, four or five holes and they're both playing good, there's good energy and there's good, they're not the play, the, the other guy in the group, isn't waiting a long time while everybody's hitting it offline. So, um, and then I think if you're in on, on the weekend where they go to twosomes and you're in the last couple of groups, um, I think you do see players get influenced by what other players do. Um, Tiger was notorious for that. I mean, Tiger, there's loads of stories uh, that players talk about on par threes that were, you know, into the win and Tiger, if he was playing in, in the final group with a player, it'd be a hundred and, you know, let's say it was 165 yards, Tiger would sometimes take one or two clubs more than he normally would because he knows the guy in the group, his opponent would be looking in the bag. And he would hit like, instead of hitting an eight iron, he'd hit like a little chip cut six iron. And so the player looked into his bag and said, well, he hit the, what's he, he's hitting a six iron and I want to hit an eight iron. Maybe instead of hitting the eight iron, I'll hit seven iron. And you hit it and hit it over the green and Tiger just kind of lulled you into that. So there was a lot of gamesmanship um, and you can be affected by what other players are doing. And, um, you know, yeah, I think it's, it's hard, but you are playing the golf course. Every time you go out and play, you are playing each hole as they come. Wow. That is so interesting. I would never thought about it that way. So it's literally like you're playing 
a doubles match because but you are playing against your partner because you are so close to each other <laughs> i guess and yeah it, the energy of there's the there's loads of stuff well i mean you 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 know when you get on the court and momentum in sports is huge right and i think you know and and so if you can get in a group of players that have good momentum yeah i mean it, it does and if there's no energy in the group mm. i mean i mean in doubles specifically you know if your partner isn't playing well and you're playing well i mean you you can do a lot but Except in golf, you're actually playing against your partner. So that's, <laughs> yeah, sure. so, wow, that's so that's interesting. Crazy. Now, one other thing uh, that I feel makes golf so much harder than tennis is that, you know, I miss a shot. I might be six laps, five laps down, and I can still win the match. Where in golf, obviously, there's no such thing. How do you train that, um, you know, shorter memory Moving on to the next shot uh, within a couple of seconds, literally. I think the hardest thing in golf for a lot of people, and especially for people that come from the other um, sports, is it, there's, if you're going to play an 18-hole round of golf, there's, and even if you're going to play an 18-hole round of golf and you're going to play in a competition, there's an enormous amount of time as a, as a golfer where you're not doing anything, mm. where you're walking. And like you said, in tennis, you can you know, miss, miss a forehand, but the next point is coming immediately. Yep. Right, and so you you have to have a very very short term memory in in tennis, and and I'm always fascinated to where you know when when I used to watch Andy Murray, and you could see Andy miss some forehands and stuff, and then he starts arguing with the the guys in the box and everything, and so it's not only Andy, that. it's all of us. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you could really really see you see it, I think, more in tennis sometimes than you do in golf because the guys in golf they can hit a bad shot and then. It takes some other times to hit one. It, it, the, the car crash takes longer. Where I think in tennis, you can see, you know, players just, you know, be cruising and then all of a sudden they hit a couple of bad shots and then it really, really snowballs. And I think we see that in, in, in golf as well. I mean, I think one of the players that I work with, Dustin Johnson, who's the number one player in the world, he, to me, he has the best mind in the game because he never really thinks about anything other than the shot that he's hitting. Um, he knows he can't control the shot that he just hit, and he knows he can't control the shot that's around the corner. Now, obviously, if you tell a player that in both golf and tennis, you'd say, yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah, I'm going to play the shot that I'm playing. Thanks for that. I couldn't figure that out on my own. But once the game and the, and, and the, the round in golf and tennis start, you'd be surprised. I mean, and you've gone through this, you know, you're trying to stay positive. You're trying to focus on your technique, you're trying to play one one point at a time, one game at a time and stuff like that. And your body just isn't doing what your mind's telling it to do. And, and in that respect, um, I think all great tennis players and all great golfers at the professional level become great players because they can learn how to tread water to where necessarily they don't have their best stuff early in a match or early in a round of golf then maybe you, in tennis, you don't go for the forehand as big and you just try and get more balls into the court and have as little unforced errors as possible. And then in golf, you'd be surprised. I mean, a couple of years ago when I was still working with Brooks Kepka, we were in Abu Dhabi and there was a kid and I have an academy, a golf academy in Dubai. And we had a kid who was 16 years old who'd won a couple of tournaments on a, like a, a professional tour that they have out in, in the Middle East called the Mina Tour. He's 16 and he's a very good player. And he qualified for the, the Abu Dhabi tournament on the European tour. 
And so he was asking Brooks some questions. And so we were walking onto a par three green and he said to Brooks, how many flags around do you aim at? How many pins do you fire at? And Brooks said, well, kind of what's, is it a major tournament or a non-major? And the kid said, well, what's the difference? And he said, well, if it's in a major, I'm probably not really aiming at really any of the flags because they, they put the flags in very difficult situations and, and the miss is very penal. And in the majors, you know, you're trying to limit the damage because they're so hard to win. So he said, so majors, I don't really fire at any. And if it's a non-major, maybe four to five around. And his caddy, Ricky Elliott, held up three fingers and said, we maybe go at three pins around. And that's probably with short clubs. The rest of the time, you're just trying to hit it 25, 30 feet. So I think, and I think in tennis as well, I think the average tennis player would be surprised at how many times you're not trying to hit winners. You watch amateur tennis. They're basically trying to hit flat out winners on every single point. There's no kind of construction of the points where just get it back, move here, get it back, move here. And I think you'd be surprised at how much golfers aren't really going for big mm. shots. Um, you know, they do with shorter clubs. On par threes, if you watch golf on TV, there'll always be a par three where let's say they put the pin and there's water in front and there's no room on the right-hand side. So to hit it close to the pin, nobody hits it close to that pin all day. And then a player will get up and they'll hit one to like this. And the crowd will go crazy and everything. And they'll come off the golf course and they'll say to the, the interviewer, will say, listen, great shot on 17 today or the closest of the day. And the player will say, I pushed it or I pulled it. I certainly wasn't aiming over there and I just got lucky. Mm -hmm. So they're not actually going at a lot of flags. Um, I think in tournaments, if professional golfers are chasing and they're behind, then they're going to take more chances and go at more things. But I think, you know, the average amateur golfer would play so much better if they never really fired at any pin. Mm-hmm. If they just looked at the green and I do that, we do that a lot with juniors as we go out and we'll play nine holes and we'll go out beforehand and we'll just take all the flags off the green. So the, the player standing in the middle of the fairway doesn't know where the pin is. So if you didn't know where the pin was, you'd probably aim for the middle of the green, just aim for the middle. And if you put yourself, if you think about the last time you played golf, if you just walked onto the green and dropped yourself in the middle of every green, how far away from the hole would you ever really be, regardless of where they put the hole? And I think so many amateurs, you know, play very, very aggressive. Again, the similarities between tennis and golf. I mean, if you were trying to teach someone what to do with their forehand and their backhand, just middle of the court. You don't need to go for the lines. You don't need to go to just hit it back to the middle. And if you hit it back to the middle, somebody else has to do something. It is so true. It is so true. And I'm so glad you're saying that because especially like you said, with the junior players, you know, they see Rafa, Roger, Novak making these unbelievable shots, but they don't realize that that comes from just 90% of the time being solid. And even us, you know, first round of slams, everyone is freaking out. Everyone is tight as hell. So literally what you're thinking, it's half meter about the net, half meter from all the lines. Don't even try to go for anything. And then if you make some unbelievable shows, like most of the time when they ask me, how did I make that? I don't know. It just, you know, it, it, it happens. It happens. 
Yeah, exactly. But yeah, again, another yeah. similarity that's uh, that's uh, fascinating to to see and compare. Um, Brooks I always said that he had. Brooks used to say when he played, he had a four hole rule in a tournament, and and he would say, "Listen, through the first four holes, I'm probably going to get a, I'll get a par four, I'll probably get a par three, and I'm probably going to be or get a par five." Somewhere in the first four to five holes, I'm going to get all three of the holes I'm going to play. So he used to say, I'm pretty much by the fifth hole, we're going to have a pretty good idea how I'm hitting it that day. If I'm hitting my driver good, if I've hit a bunch of fairways, if I've hit a bunch of greens, if I've missed greens, what's my short game been like, and how have I putted through that? He said, based off of that, I adjust what I'm going to do for the rest of my round off the first four holes because he said listen if i'm driving it really good i'm hitting a lot of greens and i'm putting good he said then we might try and take some more aggressive targets maybe more aggressive but he said if i miss the first three fairways and i'm not hitting a lot of greens he's like maybe then i adjust what i'm hitting off the tees so i think you know to me the the similarities again between golf and tennis is the driver is the serve yeah right what you're doing with your driver, and as you know, how you're serving in tennis has a massive, massive effect on what you do with the rest of your game, regardless of how good your ground strokes are, regardless how good your strategy. If you're you know, having a lot of, of second serves and double faults, it's, it's really hard to feel like you can form a game plan because you feel like you're always on the defensive. Mm. So if your first serve, I think, in tennis isn't working – that changes your strategy, but you feel like you can't really, really be aggressive. If you're not driving the golf ball in play off the tee, then again, it really does affect how you can play the rest of the game because it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on your iron game if you're missing fairways. And then, you know, if you're missing fairways and you're missing greens, it puts a lot of pressure on your putting because you're going to have a lot of, of putts for par but on tour, guys always talk about if they're missing a lot of fairways and they're missing a lot of greens, then they have to rely on their putting to kind of save them. And then they'll hit it to 15 feet, a good shot with an iron, and then they'll run it five feet past because they feel like they have to make it mm. because they haven't had a lot of chances. So the mental kind of toll that not you know, getting a first serve in. I mean, we see, I mean, you watch, I mean, you commentate on that, you see players that Listen, great ground strokes, the serve is the weakness. Mm. And if the serve is the weakness, it doesn't really matter how good the ground strokes are, right? And then I think if they're always struggling, you know, and they're not great servers, it puts so much pressure on, your, on the rest of your game because you feel like, well, listen, I'm, I know I don't serve well. I have to do everything else so good. And then you start taking chances on your second serves and stuff. So driving the golf ball off the tee, I think, is... And, it, and most golfers, I think, struggle with if they could change one aspect. The average golfer, I think if you could change one aspect of your, your game, I think it would be driving the golf ball. Mm. If you could get more golf balls in the fairway, it really does change the way that you play and, and can play the game. I think also that what you mentioned about the first four or five holes approach, it's so similar to tennis. I keep saying that to the junior players. Um, you know, the first three, four games you're kind of getting the feel of, of the match. And you, if you're trying to go for winners right from the start, 
and you're not having a good day, there is no way to go from there. There you just feel like you are under constant pressure where you, you let the match open within the first few games, then you kind of can always go for it more. But if you start going for it more from the first game, then unless you're feeling unbelievable and confident, which happens maybe once in five years, <laughs> as we all know, <laughs> then there is not really anywhere to go. Um, I feel like we could chat all day about this. Um, <laughs> one more thing that I really wanted to, to know is um, how much of having the right team about a player makes the difference and how much is it about listening to what my coaches tell me, but then going out there and actually doing the stuff on my own? Yeah, I, I think in golf, golf has become, I think, tennis. Um, if you look at, you know, I flew home from a tournament with last last night with 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 Dustin Johnson, and you know, on the plane is he's got his chef on the plane, he's got his brother who's his caddy on the plane, he's got his trainer Joey D who's on the plane. Sometimes his physio Marnus is on the plane, and I'm on the plane. So he's got six guys on his team that he travels with pretty much every week. And That's I think golf was golf wasn't golfers had coaches and and golf instructors. Um, you know, in the last 20 years, but I think a lot of what golf has done is taken the approach of tennis and, you know, taken, especially at the professional level, I think, especially in the last year with the pandemic and the restrictions on traveling, I mean, pretty much, you know, most weeks now, most of the big players on tour are getting houses similar to what you all do for majors. Pretty much the majority of the, the big players get houses, they get chefs. They have guys, you know, working them out. They have guys working on their body. And it is more of a team approach. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, sometimes um, I think the physios and the trainers are as valuable as, as, as I am as what I do because, you know, I've got the task of working on a player's golf swing, but then the, the trainers have to get, keep them in shape and the physios have to keep them, you know, physically in shape. So um, I think... I mean, golf has become more like tennis in that way. I think they're um, the rise of coaching. I mean, golf was always, I think, a little bit behind tennis. Um, you know, especially if you look at countries like the UK, you know, where golf lessons were cheap and people didn't take a lot of golf instruction. And, and I think once, you know, guys like David Ledbetter and my father really became kind of the the Nick Boletaries of their era to where they were very high profile working with a lot of players. Um, and I think that, um, you know, instruction has, has really improved in golf. I think we're, we're getting, you know, more information. Um, and I think golf, golf is more, in my opinion, at the professional level, more like a sport and more like the rest of athletics than it ever has been. You know, and, you know, golf to this day, I mean, you see people say, listen, golf's not a sport. You know, it's, it's just not a sport. But I think, you know, the way golf used to be kind of taught and trained, um, you know, I spend more time as a golf instructor, um, some years spending time with physios and biomechanic guys and, you know, physical trainers and trying to pick their brains as I do with other golf instructors. Um, you know, I spend an enormous time with, with, all the guys that I work with, with the guys on their team from the physios, from, you know, the workout guys, you know, DJ's big on all of us going to work out together. So a lot of times, you know, we're on the road, we work out together, you know, you know, me, his brother, who's his caddy, his trainer and stuff. And obviously being the non-athlete of the bunch, I always get gym shamed 
into um, how much I can lift. They always say, you know, the loser, the guy who lifts the least weight has to buy all the smoothies. So every week uh-huh. I'm buying all the smoothies after the workout. <laughs> So how much uh, how much of the superstitious stuff goes on? Does the team has to do the same thing throughout the tournament, wearing the same outfits and all all of that, just like in tennis? You know, s- some players, you know, are super OCD. Okay. You know, like guys like Rafa and stuff, and you know, are very regimented and kind of you you, you knew the ones on tour that were you know, super OCD that would always get to the courts early, that were always on time. And then there were great players that I'm sure you played with that never had the right shirt, that they never, they're taking the shirt straight out of the wrapper, putting them in with the creases and stuff like that. There's, there's golfers on tour that are, you know, extremely meticulous about the way they look, about the way kind of their bags. Dustin, you know, DJ is very, very um, meticulous about, everything and where the golf clubs are in his bag even when he's warming up if it, he'll he'll be rearranging where the golf clubs are dj when he's warming up um his warm-up is probably about hitting balls about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes if he's hitting irons he cleans the club after every iron shot he hits no so he'll make he'll make a swing and then he cleans the face and then and he's and he's very meticulous and then you have other players um that just The bag, they don't care. They don't really care what they're wearing. They're just, they're kind of in their own world. Some players are really superstitious in the number on the ball. Like some players that will never use, I know I know of a player that's never wanted to use the number three. So all the number, there are players that only use certain numbered golf balls. Well, I, I have a feeling your world is a little bit more screwed up than ours. Like you have more time to think about all these things. Oh yeah, way more time. On um, the coin that you use to mark your ball. Oh um, wow. You know, yeah, so, um, certain perfect, like certain golfers will only use certain tees. DJ's tees have to be certain tees. The only tees in his bag are certain teas. And I thought so I was brother, crazy. This is great. Keep going. <laughs> It makes me feel more normal. <laughs> no, so his brother, AJ, will have to go get, you know, uh, DJ's a tailor-made guy. So he has to go onto the tailor-made tour truck. And, you know, every every week he gets a big plastic bag of teas. And, wow. um, you know, uh, and I'm trying is, to think of the other superstitions. Um, is there something you, you do when your player is doing well that you keep repeating no i i used to you know there are there there are you here's here's one you'd be surprised at this so um ernie ells was famous for this so um if you went out to if you're one of ernie's friends and you went out to follow him on the golf course and if you showed up on in a tournament on the fifth hole and and ernie let's say made three bogeys ernie sometimes would tell his caddy to go tell a friend of his who he's staying with and is going to have the dinner out He's made three bogeys since you've turned up. And there are times as an instructor, you know, you'll go out on the golf course. I, I've done that, sending people out of my box, yeah. And you you go out there. I mean, I, I love it when, you know, the players are arguing with, we don't we don't get that. I think golf is more, um, there. once the player goes out on the golf course and gets into the inside, we call it inside the ropes, the roping of the golf course, 
we can't, we can't talk, we can't talk to him. I can't really say anything to the caddy. So, and I'm really conscious that I can't do that. So I always try and never really make eye contact. I always try and get to where they never really, really see me. But the problem is with the pandemic, the only people that have been following, we've been allowed to follow and there's no one out there. So, um, but we don't tend to get yelled at. That situation down at the U.S. Open, I mean, at the Australian Open this year when, um, was it Medvedev's coach walked out? And I'm thinking, the amount of times I've wanted to do that, just walk out. So I think the other, I think the other similarity between, you know, golf and tennis at the professional level is, you know, the player in golf and in tennis, you're all crazy. You're all going to yell at us. You're, it's never your fault. It's never your fault. <laughs> yeah, but you have the advantage that no one can ye- yell at you. So you pick the right sport. <laughs> you know, the funny thing that my dad, my dad always says this, and I think it's, I think it's probably true in tennis as, as it is in golf, you know, because of the individual sport. My dad used to always say, listen, at the professional level, I think the instructors and the coaches get far too much credit when their player is playing good and they get far too much of the blame when their player is playing bad. Yeah. yeah and, and, you know, and I, and I think, you know, I've always been, you know, I never played golf at, at any competitive level. You know, I never played, you know, professional golf, amateur golf. And I was very lucky at a very early age when I was about 16, my, I, my dad started working with, you know, professional golfer, Steve Elkington, and then went to work with Davis Love and then went to work with Greg Norman and took Greg Norman to number one in the world and then started working with Tiger Woods when he was 16 years old. And and so because even though I didn't play golf, I I had my education and my background was learning how to coach, learning how to give golf lessons and teach golf lessons. But really it was like I learned how to coach golf and coach tour golf. And so because I just was always around my dad when he was giving golf lessons to Greg Norman, who was the number one player in the world. And then he worked with Tiger for 10 years. And all of my uncles taught guys um, that played professionally. So I was just kind of immersed in the tour element of golf, which is really, really weird. I think it'd be like a tennis player, a tennis coach who didn't really play tennis, but was just with Tony Roach and was just with Nick Boletari and was just with, you know, Bjorn Borg's coach and just basically got to watch. There's a technical side of things. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are great technical coaches in golf and I think there are um, great coaches in golf. And I'm sure there are in tennis, there are, you know, I think, one of the things I think is really, really cool, and I think we'll start to see more of that in golf, is the way that tennis players and the best tennis players in the world have taken ex-champions and ex-major winners as their confidant, coach, and stuff. Because you know, that, I think that's always a huge disadvantage that I've got, is that my dad played the tour, and I think it was one of the things that really, really helped him. And, helped him become the greatest coach in the game and the greatest instructor in the game because he played the tour and he knew what the players were going through. And, you know, I never in my head come from teaching golf 
that it's easy, that telling a player whether they're an 18 handicap or the number one player in the world, what you're trying to get them to do, I never think it's easy. And sometimes, you know, I'll say to DJ, you know, do this and he'll go, man, bro, I'm trying. I said, listen, no, I know, I know you're trying. And so I think um, the way golf has evolved, I think has a lot of um, similarities and take, and has taken a lot of, you know, cues from tennis. Um, And I think we're, we talk more with players, Daniela, now about playing the game than we used to. I think a lot of it was, was just golf swing. It was just get Mm -hmm. your golf swing in this position. We know, you know, we're taking all of the same stats and all of the same data that that that, that modern tennis is is going through as well. And we're able now to look at how you can play golf in the same way that you know tennis coaches are looking at data and going, listen, this is how you need to construct the point. Yeah. This is how yeah. so it seems like it's different. And I think that's one of the things that 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 hurt golf along, you know, maybe 25, 30 years ago is it was taught and people thought that it was very, very sports specific. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes athletes coming from other sports really do think golf is really, really kind of its own kind of element. And it's not like everything else they do, but it really, really is. It's about, you know, I always think when I'm teaching and I ask players, there's two things if you hit a bad shot you want to ask yourself and be able to analyze in your own head, is it technique or is it execution? If it's technique, so if you're hitting forehands and you're consistently hitting them into the net and you're consistently not able to, you know, hit the shot, then you need to, okay, you need to hit it. Maybe you need more spin. Maybe you need to kind of hit up on the ball or, you know, do more things. You could do that. Or the execution part is, Hey, just, don't try and hit it so hard. Mm-hmm. Just sure. aim better. Sure. Don't go for so much. And I think every golfer, and I think most golfers coming from other sports, if they hit a sh- bad shot, they're 100% convinced it's their technique. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the execution. Mm-hmm. I think we see that more so, Daniel, in short game. If you've got a chip shot and you've missed the green and you blade it over the green or you hit it fat and it doesn't get on the green, that's if you do that five, six, seven times in a row, that's technique. You need to go work on how you're actually hitting the shot. If you just hit it past the hole and hit it too far, or you hit it short of the hole and not far enough, or you hit it on the wrong slope and then it curves away from the ball, that's execution. That would be okay. How do I execute this shot better? And I think most golfers even at the the handicap level, if you're a 15 to 25 handicap and you're trying to break, you know, 190 or 80 for the first time, believe it or not, the way you're going to do that is by making more bogeys, not making more pars, not making more birdies. Most golfers struggle on the golf course because they have a very destructive hole. They'll make a double bogey or they make two or three oh. double bogeys that they just can't recover from, mm-hmm. right? Okay. You know, tennis players, you know, can have unforced errors and still win, right? So, you know, even, you know, I mean, and I think the better the player, the more unforced errors they can have and still win matches. Now, obviously, when Novak and Roger and, you know, and Serena go out and just, 
basically have very little unforced errors, they're going to be tough to beat. You know, if they're hitting the ball clean and the forehand or the backhand or the serve or whatever is working, the opponent knows that they're going to be tough to beat. But I think, as I said earlier, you know, Roger and, 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 and the great players, they've won majors where they may, maybe didn't serve as good yeah. or maybe the volley wasn't good. And I think you have to kind of be able to do that. So um, I also think in, like in tennis as well, I don't think the average golfer realizes how the, the best players in the world don't hit it as good as I think people watching think they do. They still hit bad shots. They don't hit it to five feet every time. And I think tennis players, yeah. I mean, if you watch, I mean, I'm, I love watching, you know, this golf and tennis. The other similarity right now is you can just watch Instagram videos of guys you've never heard of forehands and it's indoors and the sounds great. And the sounds great. And it looks great. And it's like monster forehand. And then you go look up at their world ranking. And you're like, dude, he's not even on tour. He's like on the satellite. The forehand looks money. And it's like, I'm all Instagrammed up on the forehand. And you're like, it's so cool. And you're like, he's made like three grand in a tournament once. And so the ability to do all of that in a match, you're to hit that forehand that's got 70,000 views on Instagram where the ball machine's just hitting it back. But to actually do that at, you know, when you've got a break chance in the first set, Where's that forehand now? Because it's not on Instagram, right? And we see that a lot, I think, in similarities in golf is taking taking what you do on the driving range and in practice and then implementing it once the game starts. Because golf, believe it or not, I think is closer to tennis than people think because golf is practice like tennis where it's your practice is repetitive, right? You just practice. You can practice forehand, 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 forehand. You do that in golf, you know, seven iron, seven iron, seven iron, seven iron. But then as soon as a tennis match starts, it's all random because you have an opponent. Well, I think in golf, if you could start to think about your opponent is the golf course. And so you've been practicing your golf swing, you know, you've been hitting a bunch of seven irons and you've been working on your golf swing with a seven iron and working on your mechanics and it looks great and it's great on the range, but just like in tennis, the golf course is the opponent. You might not, let's say you don't get a seven iron until the back nine. And that's mm-hmm. the only club you practiced with. Mm-hmm. So golf is 100% random, but it is practiced as if it's repetitive. Yep. And so I always say with, you know, similar to tennis and golf is you, you'll have, when you're working on your strokes, you're basically, listen, feed me some, let's work on the backhand. And they're basically just going to hit backhands to you if you're working on your backhand. If you're working on your forehand, your coach would say, listen, let's work on whatever individual element. And then what they would do is start, and I watch these videos, you go, the drills to where you go backhand, and then you go hit a forehand, and then you go hit a backhand, and then you go hit a forehand, right? And then you'll play out some points. Once you start playing out some real points, that's the randomized part of tennis, right? Because you've got the opponent. In golf, you do the same thing. You work on your golf swing, you work on your golf swing, and then you randomize everything by changing targets in your practice, changing golf clubs in your 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 practice, going through your entire routine of hitting shots as opposed to just one after the other, one after the other, because it's harder to do. 
Mm. If you're just hitting one ball after another, that's easy. Mm. But then if you have to give players games and things they do in their practice, and I think that's one of the things that we started to do. We look at the way, I look at the way, I follow a lot of tennis websites and look at kind of games and strategies and different drills and stuff. And in golf, it's just most people just do one one thing over and over and over and over again. And then once they get out on the golf course and they hit a bad shot and they miss the fairway, they don't really know what to do. Mm. And so, you know, if again, similar in forehand, if you play a match in, in tennis and the forehand isn't good, you've still got to figure out a way to try and get the ball back, construct points and stuff like that. So, um, you know, there are a lot of, similarities and I think the biggest similarity is for the players like yourself it's it's an individual sport I think that's what people are drawn to by golf um you're in charge if you make a mistake it's you that's making it if you succeed it's you that's succeeding whereas you know in in other team sports you can have a great game and lose and you know um I think the other thing that's I want I want golfers that have played. If I'm looking at young athletes, um, you really want kids in golf that have played other sports. Mm. Um, and the worst thing in, for me as a golf instructor is to get the kid that's kind of been playing golf specifically, yeah. really since he was about eight years old, and mm-hmm. you get them when they're twelve or thirteen and they've never played team sports. And I say to the parents all the time, "Listen, you're." Can you, can you get your son or your daughter in a team sport if they're 11 or 12? Well, no, no, we just want them to focus on golf. And I'm like, yeah, no, I, I, I get that. But getting them into a team sport teaches them a lot. And, yeah. and, and I had a parent say, well, what's it going to teach my son? And so I said, well, one, your son's going to realize that he can play really well and the team can lose. And he can play really, really bad and the team can win. He has to learn how to – his performance – and the way he performs within a unit. But if you've just only played tennis your entire life, you can just become so sports and tennis specific. And it's hard really. I find a lot of the really early developing sports specific kids are very difficult to coach because they don't know how to be coached because they're in an individual sport and they don't, team sports, if you play bad, you get taken out. Right. They take you out of the game. And so what I always do with young golfers and, you know, you'll, you'll be playing and, and you could you could understand this from a tennis standpoint. You're asking someone to to hit a shot. You know, in golf, we're working on doing this with a seven iron and we tell them where the target is and we have the hit balls to the target. And if I'm working with a junior golfer and they've hit it four or five times, you know, in the wrong direction. I always say to them, listen, do you have an understanding as to what we're trying to do? Talk me through the shot that you're trying to hit. And it, and we've seen you hit the shot that we're trying to hit before. So we know you, you can do it. And you have a very clear understanding of your technique. But you've just hit, from a practice standpoint, you've just hit six bad shots in a row. And you didn't do anything to correct that. But you tell me you have a complete understanding as to what we're trying to do, and we've seen you do it before. In a team sport, if you messed up four or five times in a row, if you, if you were in America, if you were a quarterback, and even in practice, you threw four or five interceptions 
in a row in a drill, if, I, if it was in high school, the coach would say, get out, get somebody in here that wants to run the offense. And in, in team sports, you don't go practice when they take you out of the game. You don't go work on your technique and work on it. You basically stand there in hockey. If you mess up, they take you out of the game and practice and you just go sit. They take you out of the game. And then the coaches in team sports will look at a player that they've taken out because they weren't performing and they'll say, from a coaching standpoint, do you want to get in and do this the way that we've designed it and showed you how to do it? And in team sports, you figure that out when they take you out. In team sports, when you mess up and you get sat on the bench or taken out of the game, you want to you figure it out with no practice. But in golf and tennis, it's all about let me go practice, let me go practice, let me go practice, let me go practice. And so I I try and talk to players about listen, you have to think about hitting the shot, and you have to think about it the way that you've designed the the swing and all of that. So I think you know, to me, I use tennis, the, the other tennis analogy, Danielle use all the time, the unforced error. You miss a fairway, you miss greens, you don't get up and down. Those are unforced errors. And I say to players all the time, you know, if you have a double bogey, if you're playing competitive golf, double bogeys and three putts and triple bogeys and big numbers, those are the unforced errors. Yeah. You, you, if you don't have, like, if you think about when you play golf, if you could get rid of the one or two double bogeys around you have and the one or two, sometimes three, three putts you have. Yeah. You know, if you think about, I always like to have players, especially amateurs, add up the amount of three putts and the amount of double, triple, and quadruple bogeys, right? So let's say you play, if you're a 25 handicapper, and you're trying to, you know, break 90 and, and, and really improve. And you look at the way you play and you say, well, I had four three putts and I had two double bogeys, right? So you turn the three putts into two putts. That's four shots. And you turn the double bogeys into bogeys. Let's say that that's six shots. So let's say you shot 95 and all you did was make two more bogeys and have less three putts. You, you shave four, five, six, seven shots off your score without making birdies and eagles. Mm. So eliminating the unforced error to me is, is very the biggest similarity between golf and tennis. Because if you make a bunch of unforced errors, your winners have to be unbelievable. Okay, so the one message you would have for my game is just no un- less unforced errors. Yeah, I mean, if you could think about what strategy as much as you think about technique, and I think thinking about what to do, if you, if you get into trouble, the single most important thing to do is just get it back in play so that you can hit a full shot from the fairway. But the average golfer gets in trouble off the, off the tee and then okay, well, I've got to try and get it as far down by the green as I possibly can. So they're a little bit more aggressive and they're under the trees, but they're going to try and hit too much club and the ball gets up, hits the tree, goes backwards. And now they're even further back. And so, and then they try and go out again. And then what they eventually do is they just chip out. And I mean, I'm convinced that for someone that's trying to break a hundred or 90 or 80 for the first time, I'm pretty convinced that if I'd never worked with them on the driving range 
on their technique. And I just went out on the golf course and walked around with a player and just told them what club to hit off the tee, where to aim, and what to do, and what clubs to choose, and which targets, and where to go. I'm convinced that you could shave five to seven shots off their game without doing anything from a technique standpoint. Not changing anything. Because I think most golfers, they just don't think logically about golf. Because, you know, like you said, in tennis, the points are coming so fast that you're, you're thinking and moving on the fly. In golf, if you, you hit four or five bad shots in a row and then you've got a long walk to the next tee, it's just in your brain. You're just, and then the next hole's got water on it and bunkers on it. Because I think a lot of golfers, again, going back to the shaving shots, most golfers struggle with, with golf. I see this a lot in putting but a lot in, in full swing as well is they're just trying to not hit bad shots. And you know that, right? As a tennis player, you're just trying to not hit it. And the worst thing I think as a professional athlete is if you're not trying to be aggressive, like if you're just trying to get the second serve, I'm not even going for my big serve and I'm missing that one as well. Whereas even if you're trying to be aggressive and you miss it, you say, okay, well, listen, I, I went for it. But if you're really trying to play safe and you're making mistakes, you, it, it destroys you as a golfer. And I think a lot of golfers, you know, putting, you know, a lot of players say they're bad putters. And I say, you know, what are you trying to do? They said, you know, I'm, I'm just trying not to three putt here. Uh, yeah, yeah, and what I do you do? No, that's you know, the mental damage putt. to do yourself. No. Mm. I'm just trying to get it into the fairway. Oh, no, no, no. Where are you trying to aim? What shape are you trying to hit? What shot are you trying to hit? And I think the power of thinking logically about what you're trying to do yeah. as opposed to, you know, what you're trying not to do. Because um, so many golfers, I think, just struggle because they just don't think logically about where they're trying to hit it, where they're trying to aim. And, you know, I talk a lot to, to tour players, you know, conservative, aggressive swings to conservative targets. Yeah. really committed aggressive swings to conservative targets like you know we in tennis if you're trying to hit forehands doesn't mean you're pushing the forehand back right it doesn't mean that you're not being you're just basically maybe taking a little bit less aggressive angles but you're still making a very committed yep. powerful swing you're just basically giving the ball a little bit more air or you know just trying to maybe cut down a little bit on how much of the angles you're taking. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's also why athletes are drawn, you know, I was talking to Sergio Garcia this week because he lives in Austin. He was on the putting green. And, and I said, and I said to him, first thing I said to him, how's the tennis game? He said, you know, the tennis game's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Adam Scott is a very, very good tennis player. Um, and then we have a player, um, on tour who's, you know, won already this year, Daniel Berger, whose dad, you know, worked for the U you know, U S tennis and, mm -hmm. You know, Berger's a really, really good tennis player. So, um, you know, yeah, I think it's, um, that's why our worlds are so drawn to each other because they're just, uh, yeah, so, so many similarities. But I think at the end of the day, just from uh, the last couple of minutes to sum it up, it's uh, it comes down to what's going on between the ears. Yeah, and I, I do think that golf is golf is a very, very simple game that tends to confuse a lot of smart people mm. because. 
because you're not moving in the golf swing, when you're making a golf swing, you probably think that there are a thousand different things that are going wrong. But really, there's probably one, maybe two major things that are going wrong that are affecting everything else. And if you can fix those things, but um, the biggest way you as a golfer can improve. So everybody listening, the single biggest difference between you and Rory McIlroy is 99.9% of the time when Rory McIlroy hits seven iron, the golf ball goes into the air. Mm-hmm. He hits it in the center of the face, the golf ball goes there. He never hits it fat. He doesn't hit it thin. Maybe once a year out of the rough, if the lie is really bad, but from a flat driving range lie, the biggest difference between everyone listening and Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Jordan Speed is every time they make a swing with an iron, the golf ball goes in the air. If you focus on making sure the golf ball gets into the air every time, think about and focus on the contact and the quality of the contact, the direction you hit it is easier to fix if you can hit it solid all the time. So you should be able to go, and an easy way to do that is if you're starting off, take your lob wedge and just go hit. Next time you go practice, rather than hitting drivers and three irons and five irons, just go take your sand wedge and see if you can hit an entire bucket of golf balls with your sand wedge, kind of waist high back and waist high through. So kind of just here to here and hit every single one of them in the air and hit every single one of them solid. If you can't do that for 25 balls in a row, 50 balls in a row, 100 balls in the row from short positions, when we go to longer positions, makes it really, really difficult to be consistent. So learning that consistency with the shorter clubs and being able to hit it solid all the time. I mean, if, if I had a genie bottle, Daniel, next time you play golf, if I said, listen, I've got a genie bottle, I can rub it on the first hole. I've got two things. I can tell you if you want to hit draws, right to left draws, or you want to hit fades, left to right fades, I can rub the genie bottle and guarantee you the shape and the curve on the golf ball that you're going to hit today with every golf club in your bag. Or I can guarantee you and rub the genie bottle that I can guarantee you will hit every single full swing shot today and short game shot solid. I can't tell you which direction it's going to go, but you will hit it solid in the middle of the club face which would you choose? You'd say, well, listen, if I hit it solid, I can figure out how to aim. I can figure out the direction it's going to go. But if I don't, if I'm topping it, it's not getting in the air, if it's off the toe or I'm hitting behind it, how it curves, it really doesn't make a difference if it's not solid. So focus on contact and, um, you know, think about golf as a movement pattern that is moving like an athlete. Anything that you've done as an athlete Think about how you would move and how you would kind of get your body to move as a golfer. And I think you, you'll be much better off for sure. Perfect. So solid quality and in the air. Off I go. <laughs> in the air. Well, Claude, thank you so, so much for this. Oh my gosh, this has been amazing. I, I feel like we could do another 20 episodes and I'm sure everyone yeah. uh, listening to us have enjoyed this big time. So. Anytime, we'll do it again. And, and hopefully um, I'll be able to help you with your golf swing soon and you can be able to help me with my backhand. Because <laughs> let me tell you something, my backhand is horrendous. I, I mean, I can, do, I can go forehand, but the backhand is, it's not good. 
Don't worry, we'll, we'll work on it just the same way. Just be solid, don't try to do too, don't try to be too, too fancy. And the best thing about me as a golf instructor is everything I tell people to do in tennis when I play when I, or in golf, when I play tennis, I can't do any of it. I'm breaking rackets. I think I'm great. I'm trying to hit the inside and I'm out. It's awful. So I'll, yeah. take, I'll take whatever help I can get. Perfect. So we'll do the exchange. Uh, let's hope our both uh, games will become better. You have in tennis, we in golf. <laughs> I hope you have enjoyed today's episode and getting to know my guest a bit better. If you feel like it, do subscribe to us so you don't miss any of the action. Also, let me know your comments or suggestions on my social media channels and have a lovely rest of your day. Bye!